Um, what do I want to say first? Well, actually, I want to say thank you. Um, I last spoke here in July, and uh, I just want to thank everybody that came up and encouraged me, because it was just like a wall of encouragement. You guys were so fantastic. You were really, really blessed me, and it was just amazing. And uh, people's feedback was just so amazing. Even people came up to me and said other people had talked to them about it and said how good it was, and they were really disappointed that they couldn't listen to the podcast. Um, because we had a bit of a problem with the recording, and so it didn't get podcasted. I have to say I was a bit gutted. <laughs> that could have been my finest hour, and we've lost it. <laughs> but the good news is, okay, if you did want to hear it, okay, that we will be doing it again, I will be doing it again in December at the evening service. At the evening service. Where's Tim gone? What's the date of the first evening service? Still, you all know, I don't need to tell you. The 16th of November, so it's not far off, is it, guys? It's good. Um, so, um, yeah, where was I going with that? Oh, yeah, so it's coming up in November. Right, on to this morning, anyway. Um, so I'm actually going to speak on what I was planning to speak on last time before God so, not rudely, uh, beautifully interrupted me <laughs> and told me to wait. And I'm going to speak on the subject of covenant. Um, so those of you who are with us regularly will know that Ali Goss spoke on Covenant in, was it August, Ali? Just the end of August, wasn't it? And it was really good, wasn't it? Um, and uh, in fact, we spoke a bit about that beforehand. So he asked me, oh, I want to speak on Covenant. And I was like, oh, I want to speak on Covenant. And it was fine. It was, because actually what he's going to talk about, or what he talked about, what I'm going to talk about, very different. So he looked at Covenant relationships, um, primarily dealing with the relationships between individuals. And I'm going to touch on that, but I'm also going to come from a slightly different perspective. So hopefully that's helpful. And uh, Dave Joslin emailed me in the week, said, give me a title. So I'm not sure how well it fits, but um, if you're into titles, here's my title. Um, We've got to have something for the podcast, assuming we get there this time. (laughs) Covenant through Kingdom Eyes. But let's um, let's just start by praying, shall we? Huh. Father, just thank you that you have adopted us into your family and that uh, we are your covenant people and that you're alive in us. Thank you that your glory descends and remains on us. Thank you. Your glory is here this morning. We've already touched your heart. We've already felt your glory. And I just pray you continue to pour out glory on us as I preach, as we listen. I pray you just uh, you'd anoint my words and you'd open our hearts, my heart included, so we would hear your voice this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So what does God want to do this morning? Well, I just think, he always wants to do this, doesn't he? But God wants to take us deeper in our relationship with him. Um, so I'm going to look a bit at our covenants with God. And then I'm going to look, for, look at what it means for us as God's covenant people. So uh, first a quick recap of what a covenant is. Because Ali did a great job of explaining what a covenant is, didn't he? Um, if you weren't here, namely, well, it's basically an agreement between two parties, okay? And it's often an agreement not to kill each other, which, um, which Phil pointed out is really helpful in a marriage. Um, <laughs> I wonder what Jane said about that afterwards, but presumably since they were married and they've agreed not to kill each other, he got away with it. Um, <laughs> What's that? It's just as helpful, yes, yes. So I did a bit of reading around um, as well on the good old internet and uh, helped me uncover a few common practices during covenant making in the Old Testament times. 
Um, so often making a covenant involves shedding the blood of an animal through sacrifice. And this is, actually, we've got children in here. I didn't think about that. <laughs> this is a bit gory. <laughs> but they would cut the animal in half and they'd put the blood in the middle. Actually, kids love a bit of gore. Henry loves... <laughs> and they would put the blood in the middle and the two halves of the animal. They'd walk in a figure of eight around the animal and they would make declarations as they were doing it. All right, so they'd be, they'd be declaring... Um, let's see, what would they be declaring? What do my notes say? Um, they would lay out the commitments of the covenant, so, so um, what was expected of you, and then they would, and then they would speak out the, the, the blessings for keeping the covenant, so the things you're getting out of it, yeah, the good for keeping the covenant, the rewards you get for keeping it, and then they would speak out the curses for breaking the covenant. So if you broke the covenant, terrible things could happen, you know. So um, that's kind of how they made covenants. And... Um, it sounds a bit, yeah, it sounds a bit gruesome, doesn't it? But, but it just shows you, I suppose, how, how seriously these things were viewed in, in the Old Testament times, yeah? That, that, that something had to die in order to establish this relationship, this, this agreement, right? There's something very grave and serious about it, isn't there? Huh. So let's start looking at our covenants with God. Um, what's the first thing you think of when you hear the word covenant when, in a Christian sense? I think of uh, old covenant, new covenant, yeah. So um, we'll start. We're going to have a look at the old and new covenants um, because what I really want to suggest this morning is that the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant isn't just an exchange of one agreement for another agreement, but it's actually bigger than that. There's there's a whole change of mindset between the old covenant and the new covenant. So it's a change of thinking, a radical and big change of thinking. So. Um, a whole different approach. So let's start by looking at the, at the old covenant. Um, there are actually several covenants made between God and his people in the Old Testament, aren't there? So I think Ali pointed out that uh, Noah, God made a covenant with Noah that he would never again flood the earth. Yeah, so he gave us the rainbow as a sign of that promise, didn't he? A seal of that covenant. He'll never again destroy the, the, all of mankind. Um, and then there's the one that Abraham and God made. So God, Abraham spoke of blessing and promise. Sorry, the one with Abraham spoke of blessing and promise to the nations. Yeah, blessing the nations. And then there's the one he made with the nation of Israel through Moses. And this last one is the one that we commonly refer to as the Old Covenant. Um, so it's also known as the Mosaic Covenant because it was given to Israel through Moses. And the Sinaic Covenant because it was delivered on Mount Sinai. Um, and uh, it was just after the Exodus when they'd just come through the Red Sea. And it's made up of 613 laws and commandments. Um, and, the reason, and that's the reason it's probably known as the law or the law of Moses, right? So these laws are documented in the first five books of the Old Testament. They call it the Pentateuch or the Torah. Um, and... Um, so when you hear people talking about the law, biblically, this is what they're talking about, right? The old covenant, the law, same thing. So, um, so in Exodus 19.5, God calls it, the, calls it a covenant. It says, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of the nations you will be my treasured possession. So I said earlier, common practice in covenant making was to lay out the blessings for keeping the covenant. Yeah, the good things you're going to get if you stick to it. And the curses for breaking it, so the bad things that will happen to you if you break it. And this is true of the old covenant as well. So... Um, if you're looking, I won't go there because I haven't got time, but Deuteronomy 28, 1 to 14, if you're making notes, lays out all the blessings, and then a lot more verses in Deuteronomy 28, 15 to 68, 
lays out all the curses for breaking it, and there are lots of them. Not nice. So what do we get from this? Well, the old covenant mentality is all about keeping rules. Right? 613 of them. 613 laws. And um, did they manage to keep the rules? No, they didn't, did they? Uh, Which is why they ended up in exile from the promised land, actually, isn't it? And ended up scattered among the nations in the end. um, uh, Which is what was promised under the curses. So Deuteronomy 28, sorry, uh, 63 and 64 says, You will be uprooted from the land you are entering to possess. And then the Lord will scatter you among all nations. And that's the curse that came on them for breaking the covenant. Now the problem with having a set of rules is that it can encourage a mentality that we call legalism. And this mentality is constantly focused on um, two questions. Have I kept the rules or have I broken the rules? Right? Which is hard work to keep up, isn't it? Trying to keep the laws, 613 laws is hard work. It's why they couldn't do it. Um, and actually, in, in Acts, when, uh, Acts 15, Peter, when the Jews tried to reimpose the law on the early Christians after they'd sort of got rid of it, um, he said it's, he described it as a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. Acts 15:10. It's just an unbearable burden to try and keep 600 odd rules. In fact, it's nearly impossible. And this focus on am I keeping the rules or am I breaking the rules? can distract you from a far more important question, which is, am I doing the right thing? Right? Follow me so far? Yeah. So this is the weakness of the old covenant mentality. It points you at the rules instead of examining the motives for your actions. What's on your heart, right? Um, see, the pr- problem with rules is you can never make them watertight for every situation. Um, so um, government legislation about benefits and welfare, for instance, right? There's always somebody that's, that's uh, cheating the benefits system within the rules to get some money that, that we know they don't deserve, right? So the government's always putting all these extra rules and things in place. And when they do that, what do they do to the other people who need this money and really deserve to get these benefits? You know, they, it's really, really difficult, isn't it? So there's this constant focus on tightening up the rules to stop people from stealing money and then all these perfectly deserving people, disabled people or something like that, you know, who end up losing their benefits and then, you know, they end up at the food bank, don't they, because they haven't got any money to buy food that month while we get it sorted out. So it's possible, I think what I'm trying to say is it's possible to do everything perfectly according to the rules, right, and yet still do wrong, right? Were you with me on that? It's possible to follow all the rules and yet still do wrong, Um that's the bit I'm going to skip there we go so have a look at uh, Luke 18 story of the rich young ruler Um, and uh, this is Jesus and a a certain ruler asked Jesus good teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life Jesus says why do you call me good no one is good except God alone and then his answer you know the commandments don't commit adultery don't murder don't steal don't give false testimony don't lie basically don't honour your father and mother Alright, so the rich young ruler's question is, what do I need to do? And Jesus' answer is, do all this, keep the rules. Right? But, well actually his answer, let's go on to his answer, all these I've kept since I was a boy. So he says, well I've done that. And notice Jesus doesn't contradict this claim. Right? He doesn't say, no you haven't. He says, he says, I'm sorry I'll carry on reading. So when Jesus heard this, he said to him, 
You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. See, Jesus knew there was something wrong and possibly the boy does too, which is, it could be why he's asking this question in the first place, right? Yes, he's kept all the commandments, but Jesus says he lacks something. He's just observing the rules. He's not interested in following Jesus. Right? His heart isn't in it. Where is his heart? What's his heart caught up in? His money, yeah, his wealth. That's right. So the old covenant is a focus on terms and conditions. The small print, not the heart. All right? <laughs> you ever read the terms and conditions on iTunes? No, neither have I. <laughs> right, remember then, in a covenant, there are blessings and curses. So this mindset, old covenant thinking, says, right, what do I, do, what do I need to do to get the blessings? Uh, what am I going to get out of this? Right? And what do I need to do to get out of the curses? <laughs> okay? What can I get away with, basically? Right? And, uh, and it doesn't ask the question, what's the right thing for me to do here? And that's the problem with the Old Covenant. The Bible actually admits there's a problem with the Old Covenant. So if you go to Hebrews 8, verses 7 to 13. It's all right, I've got it on the screen. So verse 7. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. Right? So there was something wrong with it. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a new covenant. Yeah? But God found fault with the people and said, and this is a quote from Jeremiah. So it's actually there in the Old Testament. Right? Jeremiah 31 these days are coming, sorry, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them. This is the covenant that I'll make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write it on their hearts. I'll be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the, greatest, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And that's it, yeah, yeah, come on, bit of feedback, that's good. Where's all that encouragement I was getting last time, come on. <laughs> By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. So, um, some observations about the Old and New Covenant then. Firstly, the Old Covenant is, as we said already, it's about observing rules, isn't it? And the huge difference between the Old and the New Covenant is that where their behavior is coming from, right? So, it says, I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, you see? So, God says he'll write his law on their hearts. So, they're not on stone tablets anymore or in a book, Right? No, their behavior comes out of their hearts, all right? their motives. As, as I said with the rich young ruler, it's about catching God's heart, isn't it? Following Jesus, right? And Acts 13.22 says God calls David, the King David, right? A man after my own heart. So when God chose David from obscurity and he anointed him king through the prophet Samuel, it's in 1 Samuel 16.7, uh, what does God say to Samuel at the time? When he's going to go and try and anoint his dynamic brothers as king, God says, no. God does, a man looks at the outward appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Right? 
So the old covenant is concerned with external behavior, with appearances, but the new covenant is concerned with what's going on on the inside, in your heart, right? Internal, okay? And so in contrast to the old covenant, I would say, if you have a heart after God, it's possible to break the rules and still do it right, okay? If you live in New Ash Green, I bet you're doing this already, okay? Because if you've signed a covenant with the village association that says you won't have an external aerial on your house, right? That's, that's one of the rules. We've all got one, let me tell you. And I actually went to see them about it and I said, look, you know, we have no choice. We have got no other way of getting a television picture in our house. And they said, well, we're not going to say that you can do it. Okay? So we're not going to change the rules. But if you do it and you're discreet about it, we probably won't do anything about it. Right? Probably should strike that from the recording now. But, but you see... <laughs> What, what, <laughs> we're all going to get sued. <laughs> oh no, I've blown the cover of the biggest scam. Yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> but you can, you see, there's no other way of getting television. So really it's wrong to ask us not to have an aerial on our houses, isn't it? Right? It just doesn't work. An internal aerial in New Ash Green does not work, a loft aerial. Okay? <laughs> so we're breaking a rule all the time, but, we, but we're still doing the We're not doing wrong by doing that, really. Um, have a look at Matthew 12, verses 3 and 4. Jesus' response to the Pharisees um, who've just told him and the disciples off for gleaning corn on the Sabbath. So they're walking through a field and they've picked some ears of corn off, off the wheat and eat the grain. And the Pharisees say, you're, you're working on the Sabbath. You can't do that. The law says you mustn't do that. And Jesus says, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. So David took and ate the bread of the presence, or the show bread, it's called, from the tabernacle, which if you read in the law of Moses, right, the only people that were allowed to do that was the priests, and that was only when it was getting stale and they were going to replace it with fresh bread. Okay? So, but David knew God's heart and God knew his, and so it was okay. So he broke the rules, but he didn't do wrong. Right? And David wasn't the only one who bent the rules, was he? <laughs> I'll quickly whiz through this, but it, I just, it's worth note. This, I don't know if you've read this quote. I think I saw it on Facebook. Um, Perfect behaviour has never been a qualification for salvation, right? Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper. David had an affair. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossip. Martha was a worrier. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody. Moses stammered. Zacchaeus was short, Abraham was old, and Lazarus was dead. <laughs> See, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. That's what it says. <laughs> so you don't measure up because you kept the rules, you measure up because God called you. All right? He gives you an identity, okay? And this is my second observation. So it's not about what you do, right? It's about who you are. Right? It's, it's, your being, it's what you're being, not what you're doing. Okay? Um, so it says in, uh, in Hebrews that we've been looking at, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, I'm oh, sorry, I've jumped on. Come back. Um, I will be their God, sorry, in verse 10, I will be their God and they will be my people. All right? So con- conforming to the rules is all about what you do. Thou shalt this, thou shalt not that. Don't do this, do that. And in the new covenant, it's all about who you are. You see, I will be their God and they will be my people which is giving them a sense of identity, right? That's so important. Okay, right, now what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, no longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. 
So there are two meanings of the word to know here, okay? And, uh, and in French, and actually in Faroese as well, but most of you probably don't know that, there are two words, two different words to the, for the word know. They translate to two totally different words. So at the risk of um, getting it wrong in front of our French friends who are here, um, I'll go with the French. Um, first word is savoir, and that talks about head knowledge. So it talks about understanding or you know, um, information, knowing about. So if I say, uh, je sais que la terre est ronde, it means I know that the world is round. Right? I know something about the world. Yeah? Um, savoir, c'est, see? So in verse 11, referring to the Old Covenant, it talks about them teaching their neighbor, and presumably it's instructing them in the law or the ways of God, yeah, the precepts or the rules. Yeah, they, no longer will they teach their neighbor, yeah, say, saying, know the law, but they will all know me. So the other French word to know is connaître, yeah, which is to know for, who's the <laughs> which is to know a person. Okay, so if I said, je connais Pete Carter, yeah, I know Pete Carter, he's my friend, right? I know him, okay, so I have... I don't just know about him, he's my friend. Okay? I have a relationship with him. Um, and that's what it's talking about here. So it says, um, they will all know me. It's talking about presence, isn't it? It's talking about knowing God's presence. It's talking about, you know, being, about catching God's heart, not just about looking at a book with some rules in it, but actually about knowing him and catching his heart. Right? And how do we know God's presence? How do we know God's presence? How do we get God's presence? <coughs> Through, through Holy Spirit, right? That's how we experience God's presence. So my last preach in July, I spoke from 2 Corinthians 3, where it talks about being transformed or actually transfigured. You have, to, you have to come on 14th of December if you want to know what I mean by that. Into his likeness um, and changed from glory to glory. And actually the context of that passage is all about comparing the old and new covenants. So just a, f- a few verses back in verse 6, it says... He made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Okay? Now, the book of Romans calls the old covenant the law of sin and death in chapter 8. And incidentally, it also talks about the new covenant as the law of the spirit of life. Right? The biggest thing that was wrong with the old covenant is it shows you the problem... All right, you can't keep the rules, and because of that, you're going to die. But does nothing to solve the problem. So it wasn't intended for that purpose, right? What was its purpose? It's in Galatians 3. I've got the message translation here. Its purpose was to make obvious to everyone that we are, in ourselves, out of right relationship with God. And therefore, to show us the futility of devising some religious system for getting by on our own efforts. Sorry, for getting by our own efforts what we can only get by waiting in faith for God to complete his promise. For if any kind of rule keeping had power to create life in us, we would have gotten it by now. Right? I don't like the vernacular there, but <laughs> you see what I mean? If, if the law could create life in us, then, then we wouldn't need the new covenant, right? <laughs> so the old covenant can't save us from death. It just makes, aware, makes us aware of our problem. That, that by ourselves we're out of a right relationship with God. Hmm. But it points us in faith to the promise. That's what it says there. So it talks about uh, well, it's a, it, the promise that's fulfilled in Christ. So Galatians 3 goes on to say, The law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. 
Now, now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So the old covenant exposes a problem, but the new covenant solves the problem. You see, it, through faith in Jesus, we enter into the new covenant and that solves it. That solves the problem. We get life through that. We couldn't keep the law, but Christ has kept the law perfectly and fulfilled it for us. Right? So our right relationship with God is restored through faith in Christ. In his death on the cross to take away our sin. And in his resurrection from the dead. So we can be raised with him to a new life in freedom. So did you know theologically it actually says the new covenant is is not a covenant between us and God. It's actually a covenant between the Son, Christ, and the Father. Theologically. Um, it's, in Hebrews 8 calls it, uh, says he is um, the mediator of the new covenant. Yeah? Call, Hebrews calls Christ the mediator of the new covenant. It's his covenant with the Father and it's in his blood that's been shed, right? It's <sighs> good, isn't it? Yeah. So who meets the conditions of the law? He does, right? Who meets all the conditions of the covenant? He does, right? We get included because we're born again by the Spirit. And as new creations and children of God, we're in Christ. So we get to be part of it because we're in Him. Right? Hallelujah. So I can't pass this moment by without asking a question. Is your faith in Jesus Christ? Do you just know about Him? Or do you know Him? If you don't, do you want to know him? So you can know him right now, today. Here's what you do. Just give him your heart and tell him you want to follow him. Okay? And the rest will work itself out. But that's what he's looking for. He's looking for your heart. So remember, it's about your heart. Just give him your heart. If, you, if that's you and you want to know more, then um, feel free to come and see me afterwards or talk to the person you came here with or come and see... Dave or someone, you know, some of these guys you've seen down the front, or at the end we'll have ministry team over here, I think, presumably. Yeah, looking at Bolo, yeah, so there'll be some ministry team over there. We can help you um, work out what that means for you and how to, you know, how to take that forward um, and, uh, and just find out more about how to know him. Yeah, because that's what it's about. It's about knowing him, isn't it? So going back to our main passage in Hebrews 8, under the new covenant, God says in verse 12, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. That's what we just said, yes? And it says our sins are removed in Christ and, and, and so the law's purpose to expose our sin has been fulfilled. So like it says in verse 13, it's obsolete. I noticed a few people reacted to that word. It's obsolete now and the old covenant will expire. It's done what it was meant to do and it's been superseded by a new and better covenant, hasn't it? So, what about the blessings and the curses? So then, as I said in the Old Covenant, there were blessings and curses laid out in Deuteronomy. But in the New Covenant, a bit further back in Galatians 3, in verse 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Right? So there are no curses under the New Covenant. It's good news, isn't it? <laughs> he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So... Instead, it says in Christ, we inherit the blessing that was promised to Abraham, yeah? Do you remember I mentioned at the beginning about the covenant with Abraham, which speaks of promise and blessing for the nations, right? So we're included in that because we're in Christ. And more than that, we know in the kingdom of God, it's actually about, not just about being blessed, but it's actually 
increasing and increasing, multiplication, you know, loaves and fishes feeding 5,000 people, yeah? In, in, in the new covenant, it multiplies, it grows, right? So it's blessing and increase, not blessing or curses, but blessing and increase. And then in 2 Corinthians 3, in the passage I was talking about earlier, the letter kills, the spirit gives life, it also talks about how when Moses came down from the mountain um, with the old covenant, his face shone with the glory of God, but it says that glory faded away after a while. And then it says how, it talks about the surpassing glory of the new covenant, doesn't it? Right? Um, So in my last preach in July, I spoke about how we're being transformed from glory to glory as God shares his glory with us. And we become glorious, we become like him because he shares his glory with us. It's ever increasing glory from one degree of glory to another. So so that's some comparisons, there are lots more. Um, But summarising then, the old covenant, because it points out our problem, doesn't help us, but doesn't help us with the problem, sorry. It's an attitude which comes out of uh, a poverty, a need, a fear, an insecurity, you know, uncertainty... Legalism, keeping the rules, you know, and, and, and an orphan spirit, you know, a lack of identity. You don't know who you don't know who you belong to. You're just lost and hopeless, and you've got this problem that can't be solved, right? It's kind of all about requirement. What's required of me here, right? Whereas the new covenant is is having given us an identity in Christ, having solved all these problems, right? Comes from a place of rather than rather than poverty, it's riches, isn't it? Rather than need, it's abundance. Okay, rather than an uh, insecurity, it's confidence. We have great confidence, it says, doesn't it? We're very bold. Yeah. Um, uh, instead of legalism, right? It's, we have love. Yeah. We don't need laws when we've got love. Okay, because it's in our hearts. And then the orphan spirit is replaced with what? The spirit of adoption. Yeah. Whew. We have sonship and identity. Because the Holy Spirit comes and tells us, doesn't he, that we, that we are sons of the living God. <laughs> Hallelujah. So what's, what's required of me? Well, nothing. It's all done in Christ. Having so, Oh, sorry, I've said that bit. <laughs> you can rest. The burden is gone. So now it's not what's required of me. It's, it's well, what shall I do with all this good stuff? Yeah? What can we achieve now? So now it's not about requirement, it's about investment. Right? It's totally different, isn't it? Right? <laughs> so why have I t- spent some time highlighting this difference? Well, I said at the start that we're God's covenant people, didn't I? If that's true, it's pretty important we make sure we know which covenant we're part of. Right? If we get our covenants all mixed up, some of us are acting all old covenant... Some of us are acting all new covenant, and we're going to have a bit of a car crash. It's going to be a bit of a mess, isn't it? All right? Because so, I hope it's obvious that these two radically different attitudes will have radically different outcomes in the way that we relate and in the way that we do stuff together. Right? So we need to be clear, don't we, which, where, we're, where we are and how it works. So being part of covenant people means we are invested in one another. Right? We have an interest in each other's success and welfare. We're a family, aren't we? Ephesians 3.15 For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We're the family of God. (laughs) Psalm 68.6 God sets the lonely in families. So you're part of a family. 
And uh, Chris Valentin brought a word a couple of years ago, and I think it's a really significant word. It's always it's stuck with me ever since. And it was about the church moving from being denominations to being an apostolic family, right? That's that word again. So instead of unity, you know, uniting around kind of common doctrines, you know, and agree, we will agree that this is what the Bible says, you know, it's now about relationship. Yeah, it's about, it's about um, connection with one another, isn't it? Right? It's, it, it's about knowing each other. Right? Isn't this really about moving from old covenant to new covenant thinking? Sounds the same to me. That's what that word is, isn't it? We're moving from an old covenant denominational mentality to a new covenant apostolic family mentality. So we're God's family and we're in covenant together. We're in covenant relationship with one another, right? And our approach to covenant relationship determines how we're going to get on and how these things will work out for us. How can I best illustrate that? Look at, um, look at a marriage. Um, so it's about more than just agreeing not to kill each other. Um, but if you approach marriage with a, a requirement mentality... You're, you're coming into it thinking, what am I going to get out of it? So maybe Joe, I think she's downstairs, so I might get away with this. <laughs> but may, no, but maybe Joe's, maybe Joe's approach to our marriage, if that was the case, would be like, well, I expect him to give me flowers every week. Yeah, I expect him to buy me presents. Actually, Maltesers is what she would say. <laughs> um, you know, and, and you can go on, you know, provide for me, give me enough money to go and buy nice clothes and haircuts. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. If she, she's coming in thinking, what are... What, what, what am I going to get out of this? You see, and if I if I had that same mentality, be like maybe I'd be, I expect dinner on the table when I get home from work, you know, um, I expect the house to be tidy, yeah, pipe and slippers. No, I don't, I don't, I don't like slippers particularly. But you get what I'm saying here. I'm not going to carry on because she might listen to the podcast and I'll get myself in trouble. But, but if you come with an investment mentality into a marriage, you're thinking about, and this is why I married Jo. Okay, I love her. And I want to spend the rest of my life expressing my love for her. And I want to make her feel good. And I want to see her achieve her dreams, right? I want to see her succeed. And she feels the same way about me. So I don't have to worry about whether or not my needs are going to be met. Whether or not my requirements are going to be met. Because actually she's going to do more than that. Because her heart is for me. You see, so if we, if we go into our covenant relationships thinking, how can I invest in this person? How can I invest in this area? How can I invest then you're not going to go wrong, right? If we can all do that, it's going to be fantastic, isn't it? Right? <laughs> We're going to bless each other into success. So I thought I'd have a look at how new covenant thinking affects some different areas of church life. All right? I've got a few minutes left. Giving. If you, if, if you take an old covenant attitude to giving, you'll be thinking, what does the law require? Right? And you'll be thinking of it as a burden. Yeah, so you'll be thinking, well, how little can I get away with giving? All right? <laughs> yeah? 10%? Is that 10% net or 10% gross? Hmm. Think about that. Hmm. But if you're new covenant, you'll view it as an investment. So Jesus says, doesn't he, store up treasure in heaven. Right? You're thinking about what you're going to get at the end of it. You are. You're investing to see something fantastic happen. Right? So you're not going to lose out, right? But you're thinking, you're storing up treasure in heaven. And it says, this is a really sound investment. So it says, where moth and rust do not destroy, thieves do not break it in and steal. So this is, a, this is a gold-plated investment, right? Yeah? I said it before, I'll say it again. An investment in the kingdom of heaven can go up as well as up. <laughs> All right? And, and, and then there's this word, phrase we use, sacrificial giving. You heard people talk about sacrificial giving. I actually just had this thought this morning... 
Is that old covenant thinking? Because aren't you really thinking about what you're giving up then? Maybe we should call it investment giving. Right? You know, um, I was just thinking about actually... That, oh, no, no, I'm going to skip that bit. <laughs> Uh, paying our mortgage we got this thing about you know we, we, we're just starting to pay our mortgage right aren't we as a as a as a, as a, as a church we've just we bought this place and now we're getting to the point where we're actually having to start making mortgage repayments and we've been encouraging people to come and get involved in that because we're all part of the same family and it's a family responsibility but you know are we do we want we don't want you to do that because it's required of you do we no Surely it's better to think of it as investing in your family, yeah? investing in generations to come and in God's kingdom and in this, in, in this area because we built this place to bless this area, didn't we? And to bless people that maybe haven't even been born yet. Right? That's an investment in the future. Yeah? So, so, so that's, that's the mentality to come to giving with, isn't it? You know? What about serving? We, we get a lot of talk about the difference between servants and sons who serve. So in the old covenant thinking, if you come without a clear identity, then you think about serving as a job you have to do, yeah, another requirement. Okay? In the new covenant, it's a privilege. Alright? It's an investment. It's a chance to partner with God to see something great happen. And it comes out of your identity and your calling, doesn't it? Alright? Um, if you serve in an area, right, okay, um, let me think. I was gonna I was gonna give I was gonna give an example from from me, because I, I, I have some areas that I serve in. But actually, I get enough glory because I'm always up on the stage. If you serve in an area that isn't publicly, you know, you're not on the platform, but you serve in this church, right? If you man the car park, clean the toilets or something like that, I'd love you to stand up because I just want to say thank you to you. If you don't, if you serve in an area that's not platform, come on, it's most of you, it's most of you, and let's just give these people honour because... Thank you. I, I just think these people are investing in us. These people are investing in me. You know, they don't get the, the praise I get for this. I don't get, they don't get all the thanks I get. Well, maybe they do, but, you know, it's, 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 there are people that get up at 6 o'clock in the morning to come here and set things up, you know. There are people that stay here and will be here long after we've all gone home packing things down, right? And those people are investing in us. We wouldn't be able to do what we're doing without them. And, and we just need to be thankful for them. But, you know, if you come to it with the wrong mentality, if you come to it thinking of it as a burden, it's not going to bless you and you're going to burn out, aren't you? All right? So we're launching an evening service in just a few weeks and we're inviting people to volunteer to come and serve. Woo! Someone's excited. Sorry, I'm trying to rush a bit because I'm running out of time. Uh, but we're inviting people to volunteer to come and serve, to make an investment in growing what God is doing in NKCC, aren't we? If you see it as a requirement, then feel free not to sign up, I would say. Yeah? But I encourage you to think about investing in what God is doing, even if it's just praying for it. Okay? I mean, we, we are going to struggle, I have to say, we're going to struggle to be there regularly because it's around about our kids' bedtime. But we are so behind what God is doing with us. We are so encouraged by some of the stuff we're hearing. You know, even just last week, Faith Blatchford stood up and said about this church is doubling in size in a year. You know, I really believe the evening service is going to be a very big part of that. So, you know, well done, Tim and Emily, for getting behind that and going with it. We're, we're with you guys, you know. Let's invest in them. Let's invest in what God's doing. Um, how about evangelism? This is quite 
excited Dave noticed earlier on. <laughs> um, I've already said the law has a purpose, so it does have a place in evangelism. Yeah, it exposes the problem. But do we want to highlight the problem or do we want to demonstrate the solution? See, I think the world is used to the church telling them that they're wrong, that they don't measure up, that they're rotten sinners and they're not good enough. And I think the church has been focused on the problem for far too long. All right? Look at it this way. If I was trying to sell you a brand new car, would I take you out for a drive in your old car in the hope of convincing you that it's a rusty old banger and you need a new one? Or would I take you out for a test drive in a, in a, in a shiny new car, right, with a, with a brand new car smell, that lovely smell, and the leather seats and the new stereo that connects to your iPhone? And, you know, which of those is actually going to work? Right? So stop focusing on the problem and show them the solution. You know, Jesus said, didn't he, let your light shine before men. Right? The new covenant is attractive to the lost. Let your light shine before men so they will see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. All right? We just need to you know, stop telling people how rubbish they are. The world's already doing that. What we need to do is show off what we have. That's how they're going to come. Right? What about uh, Authority. We've changed our view of authority, haven't we? In the last couple of years, we've taught on this quite a lot. And we've tried really hard to dismantle the mentality that there is a, a hierarchy, you know, that, that what, some are more important than others. So Pete, Pete mentioned this in a preach a couple of weeks ago about apostles and prophets. Um, we're trying to get away from the idea that the apostles and the prophets are the top bosses, you know, the, the pinnacle of Christian achievement. <laughs> um, and they're foundational, yes, but they're just one of the gifts. They're no use without the others. We're all equally important, aren't we, in the body of Christ, right? So in the old covenant thinking, leaders are the important people at the top who get, who, and they're there to tell the little people what to do, <laughs> to impose and enforce the rules. You know, Jesus talked about the Pharisees putting burdens on people's backs, didn't he, the religious leaders of the day, putting burdens on people's back that they couldn't bear, right? And we know, don't get me wrong, we know leaders are vital to the body of Christ and, that, 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 and we value and honour the gift of leadership. But actually, we, we also realize that leaders are there to serve the rest of the body. They're there to, to call out and draw out the gifts in everyone, right? To invest in us, to help us achieve our destiny and our purpose, right? That's what leadership is for, is to get the best from everyone else, right? It's very difficult to invest from within an old covenant-style hierarchy because of this effect. <laughs> I was wondering if I'd get away with it. <laughs> I'm not going to tell the podcast what I've put up. <laughs> I might just get myself in too much trouble, you know. Yeah, it's not snow, no. <laughs> oh, poop. <laughs> so we're trying to get away from that, aren't we? All right, I'm going to get rid of that. Um, <laughs> we're trying to get away from that, aren't we? Leadership is about investment in other people, okay? Uh, can I have another minute? Well, yeah. I should have shut up, shouldn't I? I should have carried on. I haven't got kids. You haven't got to go and collect your kids, after all. Oh, crash parents, though, go and collect your kids. Sorry, I nicked the, I nicked the projection, didn't I? If, crash, if you've got children in crash, please do go and collect them. Declarations. How about these? Uh, we made some this morning, didn't we, as part of the offering. Um, and uh, remember I said earlier about declarations being part of how we make covenants, didn't I? Yeah. Um, so they are, they're there. But, um, and in a marriage... You make declarations to one another, don't you? So they're really important. Um, but 
just, just beware because it's possible to make declarations without meaning them, isn't it? Yeah? If your heart's not in it, they can just be words. So what's your heart? God's interested in what's going on in your heart, isn't he? But if you're aware of your identity, of what you carry in Christ, then they can be very powerful. They can change things. They can change destinies. They can open things up. Yeah? If you want to know more about that whole area, I'll, I'll just recommend again, I did this last time, but I recommend a piece of teaching by Stephen Wendy Backland called Why We Make Declarations. So you can get it on MP3. It's on the Bethel website. I downloaded it. And we, we've listened to it quite a lot, and it's fantastic. It really helps open up the whole area because it's very... It can be really weird to understand. It can be hard to grasp what you're trying to do and why, how it works. But this really lays it out well. It's very helpful, so I recommend it. A couple of quick things. Handling conflict. Um, if, you're, if you're invested in each other, right, breaking relationship over a conflict is not an option because we're invested in each other. So actually, the only, opportun- the only alternative you've got to that is to communicate and have a, some kind of a conflict, but hopefully a positive conflict. Right? And that's vital to protecting your investment. Right? So, Danny Silk's book, Keep Your Love On, and all the stuff that goes with that, the brave communication, teaches you how to do conflict in a way that's good, that gets the, that gets the best outcome for both. Right? That serves you both, repairs the, diff- the damage, and you know, helps you to connect again. Right? Um, boundaries. These are really helpful, actually. If you set, set your boundaries to protect your covenants. Okay? Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. If I constantly prioritise things over spending time with my children, then I'm not investing in them, I am ignoring them. Right? I am, as a father, I have a covenant relationship with my children, which is actually more important than preparing for preaches or you know, anything I do in church life. My family is the most important thing other than my relationship with God for me. Yeah? So if I constantly do, do other stuff, go off to meetings and groups, and I never spend time with my children, then I'm, I'm not investing in them, and then I'm not honouring my covenant. Right? So you get that teaching on boundaries. Again, that's in the Keep Your Love On books. Very worth uh, getting uh, listening to. I, I, I learned a lot from that. It really helps me. Um, so there you go. Um, and maybe some, just a quick thing outside the church. Your work, your job. Are you there to fulfil your duties and collect your salary? Or are you there to bless and invest in your company and in your colleagues and to bring his presence and to influence the culture? Just a quick one. So it's all about investment anyway. So I hope that was helpful. Um, thank you. Shall we just, do you want to just stand up? Shall we just close by praying? Uh, yes, just ask his presence to come again. Holy Spirit, just come. We just want connection with you. We don't want to be focused on precept. We want your presence. Uh, yes, Father God. Thank you that you have invested in us. In fact, you're so invested in us that you, you, you gave your son to the cross in order to preserve your connection, to, to restore your connection with us. Thank you that you are our covenant father and that's where it comes from. And just help us, Father, help us to build good covenant relationships with each other. Help us to put into practice the things we've heard about. Help us to think like your new covenant. Come and change our minds and change our hearts and just open our hearts And help us to get deeper with one another and deeper with you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Amen.